All right, so this morning I want to offer you some, some ideas from the Bible, some truths from God's word so that you can live, uh, you can start stronger in 2019. So we're in this series called Start Stronger, and today the Start Stronger we're going to talk about is finding your work. So find your work. So in this Start Stronger series, if you haven't already, we've done something really innovative, really cool, very, I don't know many people that have done it. We've put the words Finish Strong, which is a series I did in December, and Start Stronger on this rubber bracelet. You guys probably never seen something this cool. And uh, if you want one, they're out there in the foyer. Grab one on your way out. Make me feel good about myself. Just grab one. I like for them to be empty, uh, for them to be all gone. Uh, but I want you to grab one. It's interesting, although it's a little cheesy that we did it. I, I found, even last night, we had friend dinner with some friends, and I'm, we're talking about some things. And at some point in the conversation, it gets to be about life and, you know, parents parenting and things that aren't always easy. And I looked down at my bright, my arm and, um, and I saw Start Stronger and I was reminded of some of the truths in God's word. So it's a good reminder. I encourage you to grab one. I want you to start stronger in 2019. And today I'm going to talk to you about finding your work. Now, uh, there are many questions that people have about life. Very important questions. Questions like, who is God? Is God knowable? Why does evil exist? These are questions. What is love? Who will I marry? Why would anyone want to own a cat? (laughs) Somebody meowed. Um, Well, of all these questions that are so important, do not email me about the cat comment. I'm just kidding. Um... Of all the questions in life that feel the most important, I think there's one that is the most pressing question of our day. And that is, uh, what's my specific purpose? Or said another way, what is my unique life calling? Why am I on this earth? What is the work I'm supposed to do? Are you getting at the question? Like, what is the work God has for me? I believe this is the most pressing question of our day in our community. It's an intense question. People think about it a lot. And it's an important question. You know, the Bible says that our lives are very short. James chapter 4 gives the picture, our lives are like a mist. They're here for a moment and then they're gone. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, it is appointed unto men and women once to die, but after this the judgment. Our lives are short, and you will die one time. We're not going to live forever, so the days that we have on earth must be spent carefully on the purpose for which we were created by God. If you will put yourself in a position of asking God, what is my purpose? Then the work that you give your life to will be something that not only brings fulfillment and joy to you, even in the midst of the difficult times, but it'll be something that reflects the glory and the beauty of Jesus to the world. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day, and this is a man whose life work is significant. Not long before his death, he spoke to a congregation at Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, and he said, if any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver my eulogy, Tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. 
Tell them not to mention that I have three or 400 other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. You see, Martin Luther King Jr. found his life's work, and his life work was to love people by lobbying on behalf of those whose voices would not be heard, those who were mistreated, who were treated less than human. He found his life's work, and it was significant. It was important. I want for you to find your life's work. Now, I realize that not all of you here are Christians, okay? I I realize that. And so if I say to you, like, you can live a life where you bring glory to God, that might not interest you. But just for a moment, would you just take a moment and consider the, the, the impulse of your heart and ask this question, do you want to live a meaningful, purposeful life? Absolutely. Most people I've met, whether Christian or non-Christian, would say, yes, of course. And so I want to lead you to hear God's voice through his word this morning so that you'll believe that God has a specific, special calling on your life. And the main idea, the thing that we're going to go for is this. God has worked for you, and God wants to work through you in 2019. So God has worked for you, and God wants to work through you in 2019. So as I look back over 20 years of leadership in the church, I've seen the church do great things. Uh, and some of the great things that we've done is we've taught people how to pray and how to do Bible study, how to give. But a thing that we've not been good at is, is helping people to understand their specific calling. What is the work that God has called you to do in your life? And, and even sometimes I've come under conviction because in the early days especially, I think I related to the congregation like, hey, I want you all to help me do my thing in the community. But we're shifting as a church where we're saying we want to help you do your thing in the community. So with all that in mind, we're going to go to God's word and we're going to hear from a man by the name of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Paul is a fantastic guide as it relates to thinking about a specific calling. He he is one who experienced God working for him so that God could work through him during his life. You see, Paul, before becoming a Christ follower, he lived his life in one direction. He gave his life to the work of preserving Judaism and persecuting Christians. But God worked in him, saving him radically. You can read about that in Acts chapter 8 and 9. And he opened his eyes to the truth that God wanted to work through him for a greater purpose. One of those purposes was to be a teacher in the early Christian church. And Paul is so committed to his calling, his specific calling, that he's willing to suffer for it. In fact, when he's writing the letter to the Ephesians, which we're going to be reading today in Ephesians chapter 2, he is writing it from a Roman in prison. And the reason, a Roman prison, the reason he's in prison is because of his Christian faith. So he was so committed and had such a clear sense of his calling that he was willing to do it even if it cost him the comforts that others experience in life. This is what I want for you, and I think he's a wonderful guide for this morning. So with that in mind, would you stand to your feet, and Jeannie, First Lady Cravens, is going to come to the stage, and she's going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. <clears throat> Sorry. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Amen. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 8 through 10 are kind of like a final two points to a larger point. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is one verse with one main verb, okay? So to understand Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you really, and this idea that for by grace you have been saved through faith, you really got to go back to verses, the earlier verses, okay, verses 1 through 3, which we're going to do. And so here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, mind you, he's writing this to a fledgling church. The first half of the book of Ephesians is really theological in nature. He's trying to help them to understand what God has done for them, what it means for them theologically. The second half of Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians, is uh, more practical. So he says in Ephesians chapter 4, you need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been given. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he begins to, it plays out this, this theology or this, this uh, God-centered understanding of what God has done for them in Christ. So here we go, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see these two words which teach what it's about to say, and that is, you were dead. Everybody say, you were dead. Encouraging, thank you. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, and this is talking about the time before you heard the gospel and responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before you became a Christian, before you were saved, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You know that uh, Romans 7, Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do? That's a passion of your flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you were, and he's talking to this group of Christians about what it was like for them before Christ, which would apply to all those of you that are in here that are not in Christ right now. You were friends with worldliness. You were, he says, following the course of this world. You were friends with the devil, the prince of the power of air. You were friends with your own sinful flesh. Uh, he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This is how you were, and your enemy was God. So before Christ, in the you were dead state, you were friends with the world, you were friends with the devil, and you were friends with your own sinful flesh. And your enemy is God, apart from Christ. I mean, this state is, I mean, don't be confused about what it's like to not follow Christ or to not be in Christ. Paul is very clear here. This is what it's like. It's not soft. You're not troubled. You're not inconvenienced. You're not slightly off. No, you are dead in your sin and your trespasses. You're an enemy of God. I mean, that is the most loving thing that Paul can do to us is to help us to understand the truth. But you were like that. And then in a two-word change that is quite possibly the most dramatic two-word change in all of the Bible. In verse 4, he says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when God does not give us something we do deserve. 
What do we deserve for sin and trespasses? We deserve wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, being rich in his way of not giving us something we do deserve, because of the great love with which he loved us, there it is, why did he do it? Because of his great love for us. Uh, I love the phrase by Martin Luther King, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend, which is what God has done to us in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. There's the verb. It's important here because the verb is what's called a perfect tense verb in the original language, the Greek. Now, the perfect tense verb uh, is unique, and this is why I, I tell you about it, in that it, it, it explains something that's happened at a fixed point in time but has continuing effects. So when he says, by grace you have been saved, he's saying that something has happened at a fixed point in time, but it's having continuing effects on you. So you were dead in your trespasses and you've been made alive together with Christ and you have been saved fully, completely, totally at the moment in which you recognized your sin separated for you from God. You felt conviction and you received the grace that's made available to you through Christ. When that happens, you are saved. You're born again. You are a believer. You become a Christian. And that has continuing effects on you. So we say that we been saved, we're being saved, and we're going to be saved. So he has made us alive together with Christ. In verse 6, he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The two things here that have happened, there's so much going on. Beautiful, I'm going to have to move on. But verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So you were dead, verses 1, and through three, but God, by grace you've been saved. The movement from these two sections of scripture is from then to now, it's from death to resurrection, it's from a lifestyle characterized by trespasses, sins, indulgence, disobedience, to one characterized by good works from this present age to the heavenly realms, and from bondage to the forces which rule this world to victory with Christ over hostile powers. It's a movement from the sphere of selfish autonomy to union with Christ, from domination by the devil to a life controlled from start to finish by God. It's a move from what, uh, from liability to God's wrath to experience his mercy, love, kindness, and grace. It is so important that you understand God's work for you in Christ because I'm about to tell you that God wants to work through you in Christ. If you don't understand God's work for you in Christ, then you will try to find God's work for you and you'll begin to do that work thinking that somehow you'll use it to find God. It doesn't work like that. You have to receive God's work for you in Christ. And then you begin to, by God's continued mercy and grace, to experience God's work for you. Again, if you leave out the God's work for you, then in Christ, salvation, becoming a believer, being born again, if you leave that out and you just go start trying to do good things for God, that's legalism. You'll never do enough good things to earn God's approval for you. 
let go of it. Some of us try to do it from time to time and then it'll never happen. Because on your best day, you couldn't do enough works to make up for your bad days. Thank God for his grace. So with all that in mind, the you were dead to the but God, by grace you've been saved. We look at verse 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. What is grace? Grace is when we get something we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get something we do deserve. Grace is when we get something we don't deserve. And what we don't deserve is salvation, forgiveness. We don't deserve to be to become friends of God instead of being enemies of God. But God loves us because of the great love with which he loved us, chooses to raise us from the dead. He gives to us salvation in Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. God has done all the work. You haven't done the work. In fact, you were dead. (laughs) Praise be to God. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When you think about all the things that God has done in your life and the good work he's done in your life, if your impulse is to begin thinking, wow, I've done pretty good, nope. Instead, what we ought to do is say, you know what, God has done really well. We can brag on God. When we do that, he gets the glory. So once we understand that, we can move to verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. This word workmanship actually in the Greek is, is uh, poema, which is where we get our English word poem. And uh, so you can, you can think about that in one way, like we are God's poem, which if you're really masculine, sounds really weak, but let's think about it as being really beautiful. It's a poem for those of you that are really masculine that includes knives, blood, and Ribs, okay? So whatever you want to think about it to help you understand, you are God's poem. He's writing a poem that is your life and offering it to the world. And so when people hear that poem or see the effects of your works, they can go, whoa, who wrote that? For we are his workmanship. You are men and women, young and old, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's the thing. God has worked for us, and now he wants to work through us. The work that you're supposed to do in this life, God has prepared for you. You don't have to make them up. God has something for you to do in this life. Do you know the reason for those of you that are Christians that whenever you repented of your sin, you cross over the line of faith, you place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, and now so when God looks at you, no longer does he see someone who deserves the wrath. He looks at you as someone who's beloved, as righteous, as, because Jesus' blood has erased your sin. Do you know why he didn't just immediately go, take, boom, come to heaven? It's because he has a work for you. Has something for you to do on this earth. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you believe it? You must believe that God has a specific calling on your life. Generally, we're all called to read our Bibles, to pray, to give, to share Christ, but specifically, you are 
called by God to something really special. And so you say, well, how do I find out what it is? Well, it's going to be more than the rest of my sermon to tell you. But I do think I can offer you a little bit of a plan on finding your specific calling. A little bit of a plan on finding your specific calling. First of all, I want you to, step one, I want you to reflect on your work history. So bear with me as I try to do a little bit of play on words, and it's real cheesy, so just go with it. Um, Reflect on your work history. So, can't, and ask yourself the question, and this is specifically for those of you that are not in Christ, have not crossed over the line of faith, that do really actually believe that you can do enough good works to somehow stand before God someday and for him to go, yeah, okay, we'll ignore your sin, and then come on, you know, spend the rest of eternity with me. And here's the question, can your good works save you? Reflect on your work history and think about your best day as a human being. Can, can that best day, if you had that best day for the rest of your life, is it enough to completely erase your sin and your worst day so that when you stand before Jesus the judge, he will look at you and he will not see sin? If you reflect on that work history, you will see that, you know what, although you've had some good days and you've done some amazing things, and compared to some people, you're really, really awesome. But that's the thing. When you get to heaven, God isn't saying, Oh, um, Greg, well, you're better than uh, John, so come on up here. And John, you're out. (laughs) That's not the way it works. No offense, John. Love you, bro. Um, You know, it doesn't work like that. You will stand before Jesus someday and give an account for your life, and if there is not the shed blood of Jesus Christ that's erased your sin, then you will pay for your sin. And that is what he talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, which is you will receive the wrath of God. It's been eternity separated from God. So reflect on your work history. Now, if you know that your good works cannot save you, but yet you want to be reconciled to God, you want to be made at peace with God, do you know the gospel, the good news of the Bible? I've said it several times. Jesus died on the cross for you, and in a mysterious exchange, your sin goes to him, and his righteousness comes to you through faith. And an evidence of the fact that you believe that is you go, God, now I want to find the work that reflects your glory in the world. If you're not interested in reflecting the glory of God in the world, then the chances are that you've never really responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're saying, yes, I want to reflect the glory of God in the world, then then you get to put yourself in a position, go to step two, where you get to receive God's work in history, which is what we're talking about. For by grace, you've been saved. And then we move to step three. You get to seek God's work for you. Now, here's the thing about God's work for you. Some of you are in a vocation that God does not want you to be in. Most of you are in a vocation that God wants you to stay in. You see, sometimes when we think about the work of God through us, we think, okay, well, what do I need to do? I need to quit everything, sell everything, move away from everything. And that may be true for a few of you. But most of you, God in his sovereignty has you right where he wants you to be, even in a job that's not always great. He has a work for you in that place. Your first impulse should not be, well, let me go find another work. No, your first impulse should be, let me see the work that God has for me here. Let me find a way to reflect the glory of God in this place, even though my manager is not great or my coworkers are not great or, you know, my employees are millennials, you know, whatever. 
Sorry, I've made the millennials mad and the cat people mad. Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to have Andrew preach next Sunday. Um, so the question for you is, how will you seek God's work for you? Now, now, don't hear me wrong. There have been places and times in my life where I've known God wanted me to step out on faith, even when things seemed a little uh, impractical or didn't make sense. One of which was when we started this church <laughs> eight years ago this week. When God said, step out, it did not make sense, but we knew God wanted us to do it, and some of you came with us, and all of you have been impacted by it. We sought God's work for us and decided that this was the work in the location for God's work through us in the city. I'm reminded of Paul's words um, in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, listen, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So the kind of good works that you're called to are not good works that are like optional. They're the kind of good works that God has prepared for you before you were even born so that you would walk in them. And you ought to be zealous for those things. Like, not like, oh, I might kind of check out uh, what God might want me to do today, or I may not. No, no, it's like, God, what is it that you want me to do in my medical school program? What is it that you want me to do in my new job? What is it that you want me to do in my business? What is it what you want me to do as a mom in this neighborhood? What is it that you want me to do among my kids at their school? What is it, God? I want to be zealous for that because I believe that you set up those good works before I was even born. And I know that the most fulfilling, purposeful life I can live is to walk in those things. And that, that I hope, helps you be motivated to find it. So here's a call to action. You say, well, what are you going to do to help us move in that direction? We're going to do a few things as a church, okay? Here's a call to action for you. Something you can actually do today to kind of populate your mind in, 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 as God is helping you to understand what your specific calling is. Okay, here it is. I want for you to take um, what's called an APEST test, okay? So Ephesians chapter 5 says that uh, there are some in the church that are, that are responsible for equipping people for the work of the ministry. And it talks about the apostle, pastor, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, okay? There are some in church world who believe that within the church— Everyone uh, has one or two of these that's their primary gifting, okay? So we're going to take that posture for this call to action, and I want you to take this APES test. So I posted it on our Facebook this morning, and, and I want you to take the APES test. Another way you can find it is go to apest.org. Go there and find, figure it out. So I've tried to post it on our Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, um, that means you're probably really cool and on Snapchat. Sorry, I'm not on there. Um, but apest.org and then figure it out. It's a really short test. It's $8. Go figure it out. And then I want you to send us the results. And we're going to help you find your work. And it's not just about your work in the church. It's about your work in your work. Okay? And you say, okay, wow, this is good. Now you're rolling. For those of you that are still with me and you want to do it, there's another way you can dive deep. So this is another call to action. Uh, another way you can kind of dive deep on this, what is my specific life calling, is I want you to sign up for a class that we're going to offer starting in a couple of weeks called Life Unique. Uh, and so the Life Unique course is something that I've been training in for a couple of years. Andrew's been training in for about a year. And, uh, and actually Sarah Parrish is going to be leading the class. 
And essentially, this six-week course is going to introduce you to a program that will help you with gospel-centered life design. So some of you are eager to go, okay, I do want to know what my calling is. I do know want to know why God has me on this earth. If you feel like that impulse or that desire, uh, then I want for you to sign up for it. And you say, well, how do I sign up for it? Well, we'll send a link out this weekend, our mailer, our email. But if you know you want to sign up for it, I want for you to, on your Connect card, I want you to put your name and then just write on there, unique, life unique or sign me up or something so that we know that you want to sign up okay so we have a limited number of spots for this i think i don't know only eight spots so uh this is a really wonderful process so if you ask me russell what is your life call in two words here's my life call catalyzing starts this is what i'm giving my life to that's what i do i help people start a relationship with christ i help people uh start uh churches Those are my two primary passions. So I want for you to think about how you are going to discern your life call. Now, in seasons of your life, I think there are seasons of your life where God reveals more of your life call. So for some of you, you're going to stay in your work kind of season or your schooling season right now, and you're going to have kind of a cloudy view of your specific life call. But over time, just be faithful and God will make it more clear for you. And maybe you'll get more revealed in the next season, okay? I mean, some of you are at a place in your life, like if you saw all that was your life call right now, it would overwhelm you. I mean, I imagine when I was 18 years old, if God had said, I want for you to plant churches in the center of major cities in the United States, specifically Houston, Texas, I didn't like, I mean, all I was trying to do was play two-button Nintendo at that time point in my life, you know? I'm not like, okay, Lord, uh, you know, what, you know, no. Um, so over time, it got revealed to me. We ought to be people who know that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I want to charge you in the presence of the Lord to walk in them. And as it says in Titus chapter 2, be zealous for those good works. If you do, you'll live a meaningful, fulfilling life. I didn't say it will be easy. There will be suffering. There will be difficulty. There will be challenge. And truthfully, those seasons are the ones you'll most grow in your good works. But if you do, you'll find meaning and purpose. You'll not feel like you're wandering. You'll have answers during difficult times. But if you don't, then you may, in fact, waste a really great life. You know, I've mentioned Martin Luther King a couple of times, and I think we can all, can all admit that uh, he was a man who uh, found his purpose and has had an impact on us all. Shortly after being installed as the 20th pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King preached a sermon in November of 1954, and it was titled, Transform Nonconformist." He said, the Christian is called upon not to be like a thermometer conforming to the temperature of a society, but he must be like a thermostat serving to transform the temperature of a society. That sermon really impacted a woman by the name of Rosa Parks. His good work, God working through him, impacted God working through somebody else. Which is why on December 1st, 1955, a transformed nonconformist boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus just five blocks from the pulpit where King delivered that sermon. 
You may know the story. When the white section filled up with passengers, the bus driver ordered Rosa Parks to give up her seat in the colored section. Rosa politely refused. She took a moral stand by remaining seated. This was her work. Rosa said, Our mistreatment was not right. I was just tired of it. It wasn't a physical tiredness. It was a moral tiredness. The only tired I was was the tired of giving in. Rosa Parks' stand against racial segregation started a ripple effect. It led to a court battle, which led to a citywide boycott, which led to a Supreme Court ruling segregation unconstitutional. See, these are people that found their work. It started with them understanding that God worked for them in Christ. And then they began to believe that God wanted to work through them for his own glory. I hope and pray that we will live like this, my friends. So let's think on and pray about these things. Bow your head, if you would. Maybe the talk today resonates with you in some way. Maybe the questions you have related to God's work for you is not so much like what your vocation is going to be, but maybe where it's going to be or what specific field within the um, vocation that you have it's going to be. Do you know that today, before taking an online test and before signing up for a life call class, you know, today you can ask God for wisdom and discernment and insight. So I just want to invite you to do that right now. Ask God to reveal to you your specific calling. For those of you that are here that have never crossed over the line of faith, I would just say make today the day. Maybe to get you there, you need to think about your life's work and consider how you'll give an account for your life when you stand before God someday. Do you know that God loves you so much because of the great love with which he loved us? He has made a way for by grace, by grace for you to be saved. So you'd say something to God, maybe like, God, I realize that my sin separates me from you. I want to follow the way of Christ. I want to turn away from my sin and turn towards Christ. And that's what you call becoming a Christian. And there's a mysterious exchange that happens in your heart. You receive the Holy Spirit. And over time, you grow more and more to understand what it means to follow Christ. So what is your specific calling? Will you be zealous to find that? Will you walk in that? God Almighty, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for those words. Though we were dead, but God. Thank you for your mercy, for not giving us something we do deserve. And thank you for your grace, for giving something we don't deserve. God, I pray that the beauty and the power of that would would move us, would become the impulse within us to then walk in the works that you set out for us. God, I pray that we would believe that we truly are your workmanship. We're your palm offered to the world to to reflect your glory. 
God, let that be our decision this morning. So God, we're going to respond. For those of you here that are not in Christ, I trust that your spirit would call them. For those in here that that need to deal with sin, I pray, God, that by your mercy and grace, you'd convict them and call them to repentance, God. For those in here that uh, are in need of a moment of celebration, I pray that you'd celebrate. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would have your way. So we just open ourselves to the work of the Spirit in this time. We love you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.